Businesses thrive by knowing customer insights because today's insights are tomorrow's facts. At iResearch, we live and breathe insights. And despite searching high and low, we were unable to find a customer insights podcast that answers one of the most important questions in business. Why do customers do what they do? So we launched one. Hi, I'm your host, Darshan Mehta. Today, I'd like to welcome Mo McKibben. She is the head of customer support and success at Moxian by Autodesk. Uh, Moxian by Autodesk is the world's most advanced dailies and content review platform. We're going to find out more about that later on. Um, but it is used by the leading professionals to make better films and television. Welcome, Mo. How are you? I'm good. How are you, Darshan? Excellent. Excellent. I want to hear about your journey because you didn't start out at Moxian. Uh, in fact, you came uh, via being an actress to where oh, you are yes. now, right? So <laughs> I want to hear about your journey uh, and some of the inflection points that got to that got you to where you are now. Yeah, absolutely. So I have had a yeah, I've had quite a few different uh, roads and paths and twists and turns in my journey. But yes, as you as you mentioned, I, I went to school for theater and playwriting. Um, and actually went to acting school and, and really wanted to either be an actor or a showrunner or, uh, yeah, some sort of, I mean, a showrunner would have been ideal, but I would absolutely have also taken the acting route. Uh, ideally just write my own show and also star in it. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, so I, uh, I went to, uh, theater school or acting school and, um, you know, that's actually a lot has a lot to do with how I ended up in customer support and sales and marketing. Um, cause actually a lot of those, uh, skills are kind of interrelated. Um, so actually my, you know, my very, very first job was, uh, I was a Starbucks barista because you, <laughs> when you are an actor, you are like, uh, you work in a coffee shop or you work in a bar pretty much, uh, until that actually changed, uh, very recently, which I'll just talk to in a second. Cause I think it's kind of funny how, how things have kind of shaped up. Um, but then my job, my next job after that is I actually was selling as seen on TV products live in department stores um, because it has a script and it was a performance and it was, I was basically like the sham wow person, <laughs> <laughs> but it, we, we had like our own little, like kind of off brand as seen on TV products, but it was just, it was definitely a super performative type of sales. Um, and then uh, from there, I kind of pivoted into customer service and technical support, which is funny. Uh, I've actually noticed a lot of my other fellow actor friends that are also all customer success managers. They're all in customer support. It's like it's the new like bartending, basically, because <laughs> everybody's kind of moved in. Um, and I have some theories about why that is, which we can kind of we can talk to. Um, but yeah, it's, it's funny too, because, you know, uh, at help scout is probably where I really shaped my career to be where it is today. Uh, and I started at help scout when it was super small. Um, it was probably within the first 20 people, maybe first 25 people. And then, um, saw it grow to be about 106 and, and because of, it was just still like not that big, but it was like, it was like three, four times the size of obviously the company when I started and, um, because as a startup, I got to wear a lot of hats as well. Uh, so I wore a support, I started with a support hat shortly after I got moved into product marketing. 
Um, and then I was in uh, unofficially customer success. We didn't call it customer success. Uh, we just kind of called it, I guess we called it customer success, but it was uh, in a small team of two people. And we, we worked in what we called the basement, which was funny because it's like remote, but like nobody really knew what we were doing. And we were just doing a bunch of like growth experiments around customer engagement, which ended up shaping into um, kind of a cool support slash growth methodology that I began to refine. Um, and then, yeah, so then when uh, Help Scouts be 106 people, I was ready for a new um, startup, really, because I enjoy wearing a lot of hats. I like things when they're small. I like things. I like uh, I like having a big impact. Um, I also kind of wanted to see if the support-driven growth methodology that I had been fine-tuning or that I've been working through uh at Help Scout could apply to other companies. I wanted to see if it worked, if it was a model that you could take somewhere else. Spoiler alert, you can, and it works really well. <laughs> so, um, and so uh, I had gone to a uh, startup. Um, that one was not a perfect match. And so I, I won't go too totally into the details, but we all have, we all have professional, poor professional matches. <laughs> Sure. <laughs> and then I, uh, as like a, a stroke of fate, I uh, got involved with Moxian, which we just recently got acquired by Autodesk. So um, we're Moxian by Autodesk. And, and so I, uh, yeah, it was a really, it's been really amazing because um, going back to that acting uh, start is like, um, it's for film and television professionals, um, more on like the post-production side or the production side, but it's, it's actually like, I don't know. It's like one of those weird moments where you actually like believe in like things like faded by the universe. Cause I, uh, <laughs> I was, uh, we'll just say I, I was out of the job that I was not, uh, super thrilled about. <laughs> um, and, uh, had just started putting my like hiring beacon feelers out there. And I, uh, like the day I like started talking to people about wanting a job, one of my former coworkers, um, Matt Pato Patterson, Patterson at Help Scout was like, this is so weird. A company from New Zealand reached out to me to see if I knew any, uh, people who would be good fit for their head of customer success. And I, I looked at, and they did film and television production at Help Scout. You have a sabbatical. And for my sabbatical, I actually produced a pilot episode. Um, and so he was like, she seems strangely qualified and that she does this for fun. And also she happens to be really good at customer success. So, and then, so then I was there and I'm still there and I'm, I totally love it. That's great. So what do you think are the skill sets that uh, you acquired as an actress? And also, you say a lot of your fellow actors uh, are actually going into this as well. What, what do you think it is that's, that's the connection between the two? Yeah. So, you know, a lot of people think... Um, a lot of people think what acting is, is faking things. And that's actually like not the case. So, I mean, there's definitely things where it's like, you have to memorize things. So there's memorization involved. Um, but it's actually way more about at feeling things, like teaching yourself to feel things that you wouldn't otherwise feel in the moment. And a huge part of acting training when you go to school to be an actor is actually about building empathy. Um, and they come into all sorts of uh, like kind of weird exercises, some of them a lot more awkward than others. 
Um, I'm sure anyone, any fellow actors that are listening know exactly what I'm talking about. Like one of them, you just sit, you get a partner and you just start moving your arms and you're supposed to look at the person in the eye and move your arms in the exact same way and just basically follow their motions. Um, another one is if, it, if anyone is familiar with the Sanford Meisner technique, uh, it's literally just repeating the thing that the other person just said over and over and over again. Um, and the point is, is that you are like actively listening to what they're saying, how they're saying you're repeating it. You're absorbing their information. You're receiving that information and you're letting it affect you. So a lot of, and so a lot of acting training is really empathy exercises. So uh, for example, when you mirror someone's motions, you actually exercise something called mirror neurons and mirror neurons are actually the very thing that give humans their ability to empathize. And, um, and so it's like, you're just in, like, you just think you're doing these weird, wacky exercises, but it's actually building empathy in your brain. It's exercising empathy in your brain. And then the other, uh, like when you're repeating people and you're listening to people and all of the exercises that are really just around active listening and letting it uh, affect you is, I mean, that's a hundred percent like what being a CSM is. <laughs> it's, it's literally just listening to people, understanding, empathizing, and like letting it affect you. And um, so it's just, it's funny because it's, it's like I, I, I spent, you know, my entire uh, high school and college and uh, 20, early twenties, like really just kind of inadvertently prepping to be a CSM. <laughs> That's interesting. So are you using some of these training skills that you learn as an actor? Are you actually using them as well to train your people? Oh, you know, that's a really good thing that I did not think about doing. <laughs> so, I'm actually not, but it's actually not a really, it's not a bad idea at all. Um, if anybody does it and tries it and it's successful, I think I, I love my team, but I think honestly, like they're, they're very cool people so i feel like if i came out with like okay we're all going to be on the zoom call and mirror each other's they're going to be like okay <laughs> kindergarten teacher mo what is this ridiculousness that you're having us do um because yeah but i do think i mean more and more i really feel that list active listening specifically is probably the most important life skill that a person can have. Um, but it is spe specifically applies to a CSM, um, uh, and customer success and really anything that involves talking to customers and having conversations with customers. Um, just because, I mean, like you, if you, <laughs> if you're not building a product for your customers, like who are you building it for? And so it, it, you can't, I mean, I think a lot of people, it's, it's funny because there's like, I've seen a bunch of posts and, and things and, and stuff kind of floating around the internet and not only the internet, but like, Oh, Mark Cuban was like, the customer's not always right. And there's, it's like kind of like, there's almost like an attack on listening too much to your customers or like taking customer feedback. Um, and to a certain point, I, I, I don't disagree that the customer's not always right, but um, their feedback and feelings are always valid. And it's your job to listen and absorb and understand those 
those feedback and feelings, and then you can come back with the solutions for it. But you can't do that if you do, if you shut off that listening channel, or if you think that your job is to see it. I think a lot of people think sales and success are about convincing or selling or getting someone to buy into your product or uh, putting value on them. But it's actually way more about receiving. It's about receiving what a customer wants, what a customer needs, and then using that information to then apply your product to their their needs and if it's not a good fit then it's not a good fit and that's fine if you can make it a good fit because other customers are saying the exact same thing and it's just going to take some product development to make them happy then that's that's how you should inform your product but it all comes from just listening and having conversations yeah i agree yeah, i think you bring up an interesting point a lot of times when people say customers are not right it's actually delving a little bit deeper than that it's I would agree that customers are not often right in terms of what's the solution, but a customer is never wrong about their pain points yes. and the things that bother them. I mean, that yes. they know well, and that's not something I would encourage anyone to challenge or question. And I think, yeah. you know, I would definitely listen to that. And where I think the role of the person listening comes in is listen carefully and how do you then solve their problem based on what you know about your industry or your product? Mm -hmm. So yeah. that kind of goes back to Active listening, you talk about that. I know people have heard it, but I'm curious, can you give us a, a kind of a good example of what is really active listening? Um, so the best way I can explain it is it's the kind of listening that you do when you are really hearing and focusing only on what the person in front of you is saying and anything that they're giving you as opposed to thinking about the kind of listening that I think a lot of people do is really more like hearing. <laughs> so it's, it's about, um, they might be planning what they're going to say next in their head. They might be thinking, uh, they might be problem solving, uh, their problem while the person is talking, they might be totally distracted and just taking some sort of inf some information in, but like otherwise thinking more about like uh, taking notes or doing their to-do list or, you know, just doing another task. Um, so when I say active listening, I just mean that the information that's being received by the person that you are listening to is the only thing that you are focused on when you when you receive that information. Once you know that, you have a better and deeper understanding of what the real issue is, uh, as opposed to being uh, distracted by how can I solve this right away? Mm -hmm. In fact, you may not even need to solve it, right? You just need to convey that you really heard it well and be able to, I think, using some of the techniques you're talking about, mirror kind of what they said to you, right? Exactly. Mirror and repeat back. So that's a, that's actually a really, that's one of those skills that they, um, that is teachable. So going back to that question that you had before is, do you tra train anyone or teach anyone, um, the acting class or uh, acting lessons? I, I probably wouldn't do that, <laughs> but I would encourage people to coach people on repeating back what is said and what is heard in exactly the words that they used. So it, it feels kind of funny and it feels kind of, um, it feels kind of funny, but just being like, I'm just, just to make sure I have this right. Uh, what I heard you say is, and repeat everything that I said in the words that they used. And then after they have confirmed, then you can go and be like, okay, so what I'm understanding is this. 
as like the second level of it. But at least doing that direct repetition after is going to signal to the customer that they that you did actually hear and listen to exactly what they said. Um, and then on top of that, after that, then you don't have to distract your brain with trying to understand it while you're listening. Because so, <laughs> you can just you can just listen, you can just receive the information and then use that second step to do the understanding, to do the problem solving. Um, but so, so often when we don't do that, listening and receiving and just listening and receiving and nothing else. So, um, you know, it, okay. And so going back to acting, it's so funny because it's like, uh, acting teachers, if you if you don't do that, they would they'll they they, they see it and, and immediately. They'll be like, "You're thinking of your next line. You're thinking of you know." It's like you are not in the moment. In the moment is like a huge thing in acting. It's like being in the moment. I mean, it's a huge thing in life too. But um, like they'll they'll be like, you can tell that you're thinking about your next line, or you're waiting to speak, or you're waiting to do this, and that is um, that means you're not actually receiving what's happening on stage, and like from an acting perspective, that's what makes people look fake. Like that's what makes people look like bad actors is because they're just, they're not, um, they aren't actually experiencing it. And so go, going back to what I had even earlier said, where it's like, so many people think about acting as faking emotions, but it's actually not. It's about being, having those emotions in an imaginary circumstance. <laughs> <laughs> and the only way that you can actually have those emotions and imaginary circumstances is to be present, to be in the moment, to actively listen and to absorb and let those things react to you. Um, and so, yeah, so I would, as an exercise that can help build that skill, I would encourage people to, um, when they're, especially when they're on coaching calls with their CSMs, like if they are, um, if you know, you're shadowing a team member, uh, have them repeat back anything that is delivered to them. Um, especially if they have some sort of action item or something that they have to take away from, um, just to, to make sure that they're not doing exactly what I was saying before, problem solving while they're talking, trying to get read between the lines of what they're saying, as opposed to actually hearing and listening and absorbing what they're saying, you know, and, and, and eventually, you can start doing these things like super fast, like in the sense of you can absolutely listen and hear what they're saying. And within seconds, get to the understanding and problem solving, you know, phase. And then it doesn't necessarily seem like you're like, you know, repeating exactly what they're saying. Like those, those, um, those skills, they build speed and, and then it's less awkward. Um, but as far as just the actual, um, just making sure you got it. It's just so funny how, how, how hard it is for people to listen. <laughs> yeah, that's a real challenge. And you wonder why, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's the easiest thing that you can really do in a conversation because it, 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 it means the other person is doing all of the work. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm curious, how do you differentiate customer experience and customer success? So I think customer experience is a larger umbrella that customer success falls into. Um, but, okay, so it also, they have slightly different definitions if you're in a D2C, direct-to-consumer space versus a B2B space. So I define customer success as essentially a set of processes and operations that will make sure your customers are successful using the product to accomplish the outcomes that they chose the product for. 
that is my, that's like the definition of customer success in a nutshell, how you make your customers successful is going to depend a little bit more on like whether or not you're doing like one-to-many or product-led growth tactics or digital touch or, you know, education and enablement programs, like whether, whether or not you're doing that versus like actual one-to-one high touch um, customer success work is going to depend on your customer base. Like Moxian has a super high tier enterprise customer. Like, I mean, our, our customers are literally household names they're all on your television roku channel or apple tv right now <laughs> so like they're like so they're that like they're the highest touch of the high touch because it's just like they're um they're so complex they're the the businesses and their needs are so complex because they're an enterprise and and so therefore that's kind of where the high touch listening side of things but a lot of um, B2B companies or D2C companies are going to have more of a um, having to listen at scale, which is a little less like active listening and a little bit more like um, just being able to categorize customer feedback as it comes in or being able to um, tag and track and segment feedback that comes in from support conversations or support phone calls or um, any sort of in- incoming forum. Like that's still information, but that's a little less like listening and it's a little bit more more reading, I guess. So, uh, so, and then as far as customer experience goes, I would say that customer experience largely is the whole big picture of the customer's interactions with your business. So that goes into the tippy top of the funnel when they first experience your brand and they experience your, if it's content or, um, you know, just basically top of funnel awareness stuff and how that trickles down into purchase, what the purchase experience is like, what the product experience is like, what the actual product is like. Like I I would say that customer experience is a more, is a a larger rainbow. Um, Customer success is within that rainbow, but it's more specific to making sure that your customers are successful using your product, which does, does have an influence on marketing because you do want to make sure that you're attracting the right customers. So by listening into your customers um, on the post-sale side, you can inform marketing who they should be attracting on the pre-sale side because you could be saying like, oh, these customers, they love Moxian. These customers, they hate our guts. Do not attract more people like this. (laughs) No one hates our guts. Everybody loves us. But still, there's definitely ones that like have had harder times than others. And it's just like, okay, we should not be attracting customers that fit these like squares because it's not a good product for them and they're going to have a horrible time. Um, But these customers have a really good time using Moxie and like we should use that to inform all of our marketing materials, inform direct sales approaches, our uh, ideal customer profile, all of that. So it is, um, it's related to customer experience, but it's not quite, it's not quite as broad, if that makes sense. So tell me a little bit about what you do at Moxian and how do you really define customer success for, for your company? Yeah. Um, so I lead, I mean, technically I lead two teams, but one team is very small. <laughs> So um, the way I segment my customer success operations and the teams that fit within it is I have a high touch team. 
and a high velocity team. Um, so the high touch team is, uh, closer to that's the, my very small team right now. It's just one person so <laughs> that, and it was me before, but it was way too hard for me to do that. And then also manage like the high velocity mm-hmm. team. It was just too much. I wasn't listening though. So, <laughs> Um, this too distracted. So, uh, I, um, the high touch team is more in line with what people think of when they think of customer success management. It's more of that one-to-one, uh, account, almost like account management, but a little bit more holistic. Uh, I think the difference between, I would say the difference between account management and customer success management it's not that big of a difference, but the difference between account management, unless you're a really, really good account manager, usually has more to do with the contract and the relationship around billing. And the a customer success manager has more around like, are you, like I said before, are you successful using the product? To, is the product helping you achieve your business outcomes that you chose this product for? And then of course, like also, if the answer is yes, they're going to renew their contract because you're helping them accomplish their goals. So like the renewal element and the upsell element is more, um, has more to do with the fact that you are driving value by making sure that they're achieving goals as opposed to, and that the product is doing what they want and that they're able to like achieve what they purchased the product for. Then like the revenue, uh, the, the renewals and the upsells, they just come naturally because of course people want to invest more in things that are working for them. Um, whereas account management is a little bit more just related to the actual contract. Um, I've met some really good account managers, so that's not everyone. Actually, my high touch CSM is a former account manager. So like it's totally an intersecting tool set, but it's just um, not, uh, not all of the, the, the definition is slightly different in that way. So I have my high touch team of one, and then I have a high velocity team. Um, so the high velocity team, um, they follow what is uh, what I was referencing before, the support-driven growth methodology that I kind of worked at out at Help Scout and then carried, uh, carried on to Moxan. And so what that is, is... Um, it's a little, it, 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 the relationship between sales and support is a little bit more fluid and it has more to do with low complexity, um, low complexity operations. So for low complexity operations, um, essentially the production success team handles customers collaboratively, collaboratively throughout their entire life cycle. So they handle inbound sales conversations. They handle, um, any sort of conversations until end of life all across the board. And then it's very much like hybridizing like one to many tactics that are based off of the customer journey. Like we use a lot of videos and enablement and things to kind of make the same achievements in customer success that you would on the high touch side. But a lot of it is leveraging documentation, enablement, education, and is uh, essentially by taking key moments in the customer's life cycle that is mapped out by the customer journey, we have like automations that notify our team to proactively outreach to people with, uh, with enablement that makes sense 
based off of what their stage of life is essentially. So, or what their use case is. I mean, it gets very complex. <laughs> like I have like a whole, I actually have everybody's customer journey. Um, I, I have, uh, so when I, when I segment customers, I segment them by operating segment, which is high touch versus high velocity. Um, high touch is high complexity customers. High velocity is low complexity customers. They might even be actually like, all of our high velocity customers have like a higher uh, dollar sign amount than even than most of our customers ever did at Help Scout, even the high value ones. So it's like, it's less, it's less about value and more about complexity. So our high velocity customers are less complexity and they also have to move at a fast pace. Um, they're productions. So productions, they usually know they're getting the software like the day before they have to use it and they have like a camera test tomorrow. And so like they need to get up and running like right away. And like that sales process is, um, you know, like 20 days long, which is not long at all when you're talking about the, <laughs> like it's like a 20 day long sales cycle. And then it's like, they get up and have to onboard and train their team like immediately. So if we had handovers in that process between like sales and support, it would just be like, uh, I mean, it, we, that when I started, they actually did do that. And it was a disaster. It was a nightmare. It was like so hard to actually help customers. Um, so this allows us to kind of streamline the experience um, for that low, uh, for that low complexity customer. And so then the way, the way high velocity teams scale is we have essentially they break into specialties. So we have like a product specialist, a growth specialist, um, a operations specialist and an engineering specialist. And so like, in, like everybody pretty much handles everything except for like, the growth specialist is if there is like a more sales conversation that has to happen, they're generally more adept and kind of the liaison to the growth and marketing um, feedback loop chain. If there is a, uh, the product specialist aggregates all the voice of customer feedback we have across all the different channels and they organize it and then like are the liaison to product. Um, the operations specialist essentially is like uh, the person who, takes all of the needs of the team to make this kind of streamlining and automation ha thing happen and like creates the systems of like internal enablement and training and uh, automations and operations that keep this running smoothly. And then the engineering one is the one that's most like actual tech support. <laughs> so, so like the high velocity team is almost like, it's like a mini business in the business. They have these little li liaisons that go to the other arms of the business. And the high touch team is very much like, I mean, they're like the, the, the company's person. They're all of the, they're all of the like types of like little velocity success people, like, but one person and doing this for like a company. Right. So, so what exactly does Moxian software do? Yeah, so it is a uh, it's a full production uh, lifecycle platform, and so what I mean by that is it helps. I mean, okay, so there's there's four core workflows that if you were in the film and television business, you would be very familiar with them. <laughs> so I'm going to try to to make this as clear as possible. So we have uh, the MX production, which is the production uh, the production workflow. Uh, feature set. And that is live streaming from camera. We have a product called Immediates, which is a camera to cloud technology that takes camera that's shot 
or footage that's shot from the camera and puts it directly into the cloud. And then it allows editors and people who are working on the film to start editing the footage right away, which speeds up uh, the turnaround and also reduces the need for pickups because they basically know that they got the shot that they needed without having to like fix it in post, they can fix it in post in production. So like that is, uh, that's what the production feature set is like. Then uh, MX Foundation is essentially the core standard feature set and uh, most productions use it for dailies and cuts. Uh, dailies are essentially the things that people watch at the end of the day to make sure they got the shot. So if you're, they're using immediates, that actually can happen before the dailies even happen. Like, so that like immediates is like really cool in the sense that like, they're like literally immediate dailies, but you can also use Moxian for regular dailies. And the reason people like that is because our, uh, the quality that we have for the footage, um, is far beyond any of our competitors. Uh, so, and then we have MX Post, which is specifically for editorial teams. You can actually live stream from different editing software. So people can jump into essentially what's like a, basically a Zoom call. But the difference between using Zoom and using uh, MX Post is that it's a secure environment because like what we're dealing with is like billion dollar IP of like, highly highly secure in like basically a high high content security situation so this way people can stream uh from moxian and because oh because there's also in in the film and television world there's something uh digital rights management prevents you from screen sharing or screen capturing footage so moxian has that built into the product so you wouldn't be able to stream in a Zoom call because you couldn't actually see the footage, it would be blocked out. So this way you can actually jump and have a call in Moxian and do like live editing uh, and li live review uh, in a secure way where everything's watermarked, which is another huge security deal. Um, and then MX Finish, which is a feature set for finishing review. So uh, finishing review is like essentially uh, color and sound final touches. Um, so we, and this is what I was saying with the quality of our footage is better than our, our competitors. We are currently the only one company that offers collaborative review in both HDR 10 and Dolby Vision. And like companies like Netflix, for example, finish everything in Dolby Vision. So um, we've been able to, and we also have a, a few features that help um, ensure color fidelity, which is really, really, really hard to do remotely because everybody's got different monitors and different devices and different um, things. So we've created a feature set that is one of the only feature, one of the only things in the, uh, I mean, there's, there is a company that's kind of biting at our heels, but it's still in beta for them. Um, and we've taken a long time to kind of refine it. So we're one of the only tools that allows for that sort of workflow. So that's a really powerful workflow. Um, so on the production level, they will use one of those products or string all of them together to do the full workflow for the, across their whole production. But then we also have um, a studio customer. So that's our high touch customers, the studio customers. And they essentially like the fact that they can have all of these customers. I kind of explain it, or I kind of, describe it similarly to 
a franchise cust- like relationship. So it's like our customers, the studio, they give us a bajillion dollars and then we have kind of a shared customer in productions. So customers also pay for us and are also a customer. They're a low complexity customer, but really the studios are also like, are also then managing the productions that are coming in. And so like, so the studios are in, in a way are almost like a marketing channel for productions there. I mean, they're not because they're all like a customer and they're using the tool, but like we have this kind of weird shared customer and productions. So that's been really fun thinking of a model for that because it's very different than anything in regular SaaS, um, which is another thing too, that I think came from listening to customers and what their needs were because when I came in the Moxie and we were really kind of handling all customers the same, like they all had good support. It was all high touch, but we weren't giving people the kind of support they needed based off of their needs, based off of like what kind of customer they were or their, like their operational needs. So after a bunch of this information, of what customers need and what they expect kind of comes at me in all directions, then that's what informed the process of like, okay, well, we've got the high touch process, the studio process, the studio customer, this is what the studio needs are. And like, everything is going to be geared towards uh, everything in their training is going to follow what they have already articulated is what their studio needs are. And then we have production needs and the production needs are totally different from the studio needs. So everything like they're going to follow their own process of their own set of enablement, have everything that basically they're like almost a different customer, but that wouldn't have happened if we weren't, actively listening to customers and using that to inform like i mean i think something i think something a lot of people do is they build a process around what's needed for internal operations as opposed like they'll be like oh well we do this because the sales team needs to understand what they get off of commission or we do this because they need to go follow these processes because we need to report on this in this way and it's like what you really should be doing is building your processes around your customers and how they, like how it makes sense to kind of service them. And if you're lucky, maybe it's very simple and they do all kind of follow a low complexity process. And I think that that's usually the case for a lot of product led growth companies. But, you know, uh, if you do that, if you do that too early or you make those assumptions too early, like you're going to really create some bad customer experiences. So that leads me to the next question. Uh, When I hear about customer success from you, what role does customer success play in product development and product roadmap? So much, like so, so much. So we have a monthly voice of customer meeting with product and a weekly studio pulse meeting with product. And so this kind of goes into the uh, two different types of customers and their operating styles. So the monthly voice of customer essentially covers anything trending. So if we hear something across a lot of productions, then that would make it to the voice of customer or a lot of studios. Basically, if we hear something to a, from a lot of people, it doesn't matter if they're small customers or big customers. It's um, It has a large impact because we're hearing it, it's trending. That goes in the voice of customer uh, meeting. But then we also have a weekly, what we call studio pulse, because when you're dealing with half a million to million dollar contracts, <laughs> you have to also... 
you have to build things for people sometimes that they, you know, and sometimes they'll even they'll pay extra for it. <laughs> so, uh, so we, we kind of have a, uh, the weekly is to make sure that we are putting development and discussions around the super highest value customers are the only people we talk about in studio posts and that we are all kind of aligned on what their needs to make them happy. And that happens on a weekly basis. And then um, on a monthly basis, we talk about the larger trends between the like uh, whales and fish, basically. So between the fish. So if there's a lot of fish, that's still going to like be a very large, you know, feed a lot of people. Um, you know, so it's just, uh, the voice of customers is like essentially the fish meeting. Although a lot of whale stuff happens in that too, because a lot of, it's a lot of, it's just a lot of trending stuff. And then, uh, studio pulse is where we, we talk about the high, the super high value, high impact customers. Um, I don't know what percentage I could say has to do with it, but I can say that we attribute the most of our roadmap to customer feedback. And then we have a small portion of it that's dedicated to innovation. So we have, we, we do definitely have things that it's like, oh, these are the things that customers are not asking for, but we think will be important. And, um, and I, I do think it's always important to do that stuff. And our CEO is like super innovative. Um, cause he's, a, he's, a, he's a, a DIT, which is a digital imaging tech so he's basically a, a film he's in the film world. So he's like super well-connected and um, our other co-founder is an editor. And so they, they worked in Hollywood. So they're like, they really have their finger on the customer pulse from just like a, like a market and audience perspective, which is really nice. So um, we do have uh, we do have a chunk of our roadmap that is towards innovation, but the vast majority of it is based off of customer feedback. And, what's coming in from the CSMs. And how much is your customer success inbound versus actually outreach and talking to customers actively as well? Um, so that's a really interesting question that I don't know if I have a metric for. Um, because, okay, on the, so on the studio side, honestly, they are like, I feel like I work for Apple and Amazon on and like, I feel like I am an employee at, the, <laughs> at their jobs. So um, it's it's really hard to say how much of that is inbound versus outbound. Like uh, some of them we have Slack channels with, we have meeting, we have t- bi-weekly meetings with the top tier ones. Like, so we see them every other week. Uh, and then on top of that, have like different breakout sessions to like accomplish specific goals. Um, I know all of, I mean, like there it's like, it's like, we are, is it proactive? Is it reactive? I can't really tell. It's like, I am adjunct faculty at these companies. You're embedded. Yeah. Yeah, or so is so is Orlando, who is our our studio CSM. So it's I don't really know if you if it constitutes as proactive if you're like scheduled for a meeting every two like every two weeks essentially. Some of them even more. It's like um, it's a lot, but you know, like it, like the ROI is like I said at that the, that size of a contract, the ROI is definitely the, it's like this one customer is paying all our salaries. Right, right. <laughs> it's just like, um 
But so, you know, the, the, what led me to that question is because a lot of it sounds like what you're doing at customer success is also basically uh, gathering insights and, in a yeah. way, research and, yeah, and, and, yeah. and keeping a pulse. And it's, uh, I mean, I don't know if you have a separate research department as well, or it's all kind of part of this customer success um, umbrella we, that you're we doing. Don't. We don't. And I think that actually that is something that I think a lot of companies could learn from is really all you have to do is just change how you organize feedback and categorize it and segment it. And also um, a little bit about how you frame it. So like uh, what we try to do when we, when we get feedback is we try to frame it as like, as an X role, I uh, want to do this, or I have been having trouble doing this. So therefore it's really framed like a problem to solve versus like an actual feature request. Um, feature requests do happen, but they like the way I, I kind of have it documented for my team in terms of what's the difference between basically like a, a feature request and a problem area or a problem to solve is a feature request is something cut and dry, like, do you support um, HLG HDR? We don't. That's a yes or no question. Like, it's just like, there's no more than one way to support HLG HDR. Like, you either do it or you don't, and we don't. So it's a yes or no. That's a feature request. And then you get trending things of the amount of people who want that yes or no, very simple, this is a yes or no thing. That kind of volume goes in. But then there's like friction areas or problem areas or problems to solve. It's a little different than a feature request. And those can frequently be disguised as feature requests because those are the kinds of things that customers will ask you, like, do you do this? And then you just kind of need to teach your team to just probe a little bit deeper and be like, so what are you trying to accomplish? How have you been accomplishing this in your workflow before? And then also like how much pain is this causing you? And that allows the CSM or, you know, like the person who's receiving this information to kind of take a step back and be like, is there another way to solve this in the product? Like maybe they're just trying to solve a problem that we can solve a different way in a way that is solvable in a competing product or something like that. And so once they learn that this, what they're trying to accomplish, you can say like, oh, the way the way we do this in Moxian is X, Y, or Z. And then it's like, oh, okay, cool. Then that's not a feature request. Like they just didn't know. And then it becomes an enablement thing. So then the way that you can action that feedback is, oh, a lot of people are asking about this, that we actually have a problem to solve. And it's because our competitor X does it this way. So then you just create an article that's like archiving best practices or something. Or, you know, like you just set up, you create some sort of piece of enablement that teaches people how to do it the your product way um, that might be different in a different product, but like that. And so that's how you can kind of use that feedback to also inform your products. So then people can find that doc, find that video, find those things and, and alleviate that confusion internally on your customer facing teams. Um, and then in the way that it can inform product is if somebody's specifically on a page, like maybe you have like a little link that opens an article or that video that's like, oh, okay, like now I have to do this. Um, but then sometimes that is like, so for example, we have a, we're working on our administration panel and that's one of those things that always comes up as different feature requests. But really what it is, is that people just need ways easier, more scalable ways to handle administration. You know, like 
it comes up in all these different ways. Like, is it possible to bulk select this? Or is it possible to do this? Or is it possible to do that? And it's like, everybody's actually just saying the same thing, which is I need a more scalable way to add and remove people on a global level. Like that's what they're actually saying, but they're just saying it in all these different cloaked feature requests. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so all you really have to do, if you just want to basically make your customer facing team, customer researchers is just teach them how to ask those questions and then record that information in a way that, is like I said, feature requests versus problems to solve. And then once you have that, then just it's all just about segmentation. Is this a high impact situation? Because a lot of people are asking for it. Is this a, a high value customer that's asking for it? So like, it doesn't matter if anyone else is asking for it because this is a, a bajillion dollars. <laughs> so though, and, and so you can kind of use that to like prioritize. Um, or enhance your research, right? Because there's always a place for research as well, um, especially like, because you can only get what's going inside, in, like in, inbound to you to, to categorize those things. So it's just like, if you needed to do something, for example, like saying like, okay, we, we're having a lot of problems in this problems area, like then maybe use that to like inform when you need to go research and have more conversations, like, or if you need to talk to a, a specific type of customer base and facilitate that sort of research. Um, so I'm not saying it like replaces research. I'm just saying that it's like another area that you can use for research that then can even like point you in the right direction. So then you're not spinning your wheels, like trying to figure out, like just doing blanket market right. research. No, yeah. I think it's very interesting. Yeah. So I've really enjoyed talking to you about that. I think it's very interesting about customer success and what you're doing at Moxian. And I really appreciated the insights from the acting uh, career <laughs> and, and like the Jad to, to bring onto this side. So I'm curious who in the world of customer success would you love to have lunch with and why? Oh, you know what? I need to like look at their actual names on LinkedIn because they're all, I have so many people who I follow on LinkedIn that I'm like absolutely obsessed with, but they are, um, ah, sorry, let me just kind of go through who in customer success do I want to have lunch with? There's this woman who I, this is one of them. Okay. Yes. Christy fell to Russo. I love everything she writes on LinkedIn and I always learn a ton from her. Um, also this Marcus wrench character, he, is also pretty much on the same wavelength as how I feel about a lot of stuff. Um, those, I think, I feel like those are the two that I'm always like, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. I mean, <laughs> but really there's like, so everybody in the game grow retain community is super awesome. Um, you know, there's just so many, Oh, you know what I really like to have lunch with is, um, uh, I don't know if this is considered customer success or uh, customer experience, but that, um, Jean, uh, what's her name? Jean Bliss, uh, who wrote Chief Customer Officer. That is also another one of those books and people who I'm just always like, yeah. Uh, well, <laughs> I just new to me, so I'm learning. I what I learned from you is I think it's a you know the front line of uh, the relationship with customers, but also in a way can really be a, a pivotal part of driving product development, innovation, and uh, the the roadmap, so, which is very interesting. 
Yeah. Well, thank you very much. It was great talking to you. I really appreciate it. And I look forward to continuing the conversation later on. Yeah, totally. It was so nice. Thank you so much for having me. Getting to AHA was brought to you by iResearch. To find out more about us, head to iResearch.com. And make sure to search for Getting to AHA in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere else podcasts are found. And don't forget to click follow to ensure you don't miss any future episodes. Thank you for listening.